Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and when I'm not working on the Shred Girls series, I'm probably on this podcast, or I am working on an article all about training, nutrition, and other endurance sports stuff. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist and an endurance coach, and you are here on the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we talk about lots of different sports, often about endurance sports, um, and we talk to the people who do them and people who coach them and are experts in various parts of them. Yeah, and today's episode is definitely one of the, the more sciencey, we'll say into the weeds ones. Um, so all of you data nerds out there are going to be pretty stoked on it. But before we get into that... Peter, what have you been up to? Well, I, as you can probably hear, have a bit of a, a cold of sorts. It's been really odd, actually. I felt really, really good the entire time, but had sort of a stuffy nose and then lost my voice. Um, sort of was coaching all one day and, uh, yeah, just lost my voice completely. Uh, still no sore throat, still felt fine, sleeping re- relatively well, and yeah, so it's still sort of cackly voice, but... Hopefully we're getting over. Each day is a little better. And I mean, I think the important maybe takeaway to pull from this is that Peter did actually take some time off last week. We both were a little under the weather, so we spent an actual day just resting and recovering and, you know, trying to to be the good athletes we are, which means getting a lot of sleep and a lot of rest when we're not feeling optimal. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, definitely took a few easier days and trying just to avoid breathing really deeply right and so we'll see tried to hit myself with i have sort of my little protocol of ginger and all sorts of shooters and don't I take try a, this at home yeah it's sort of disgusting but Super yeah disgusting. it didn't didn't work i've won though i've won the battle since like before like before christmas oh boy thought i was getting sick you know starting to get sniffles hit it with my protocol got out so you lose some, but I think it was after Molly's book came out, Shred yep. Girls on, on, you know, all the bookstores, we're seeing them at bookstores. It's an actual book on yeah. the bookshelves, uh, also on Amazon. So Molly's book came out, which was a big sort of build up for us over even the last year uh, and just getting through camps and the first race, which my goal was to not be sick before the first race. So goal was achieved. And then there's that come down. So yeah, such yeah. is life. On How about the, you? On the topic of Shred Girls, yeah, it's been actually really cool. I've had a lot of people messaging and, you know, Instagramming pictures of the book on shelves at bookstores and Barnes and & Noble and kind of all that that stuff and, you know, pictures of them reading with their kids or their kids reading it. I've, I've heard about yeah, kids not wanting to put it down when they go to school. So that's all just the most heartwarming, greatest stuff to hear. So if you have a copy already and, you know, you're you found it in a bookstore or, you know, you're reading it, please, by all means, shoot me a, shoot me a line, send me a picture. That makes me so happy. Or leave a review on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or wherever. That's also super helpful. Um, yeah, as for me, I don't know. I've, uh, I'm pretty recovered from my big race, um, which is great because for me last year, you know, racing a 50K mountain run kind of put me out for a solid month after, you know, running but definitely took me a long time to come back from it uh this time you know took a couple of days off and kind of came right back to training this weekend i ran you know a total of 26 miles and my coach made the comment that you know the 16 mile run i had on saturday a couple months ago even that was a big honking deal and like a cause for you know serious celebration that i made it through that run and that was that was amazing and awesome and 
this Saturday, it was just like, yeah, of course I'm going to go out and run 16 miles on trails and, you know, do this elevation and hit these really, you know, technical, windy trails up here. And it felt normal. It didn't feel like a huge accomplishment. It just felt like this was a good day of training and I feel, I feel great. Yeah. And important to look back like that. Right. And I think a lot of people, you know, I was just talking to clients this past week and, you know, it's not going as well, you know, again, such is life. Sure. But I think it's important to remember, you know, things change not quickly, not overnight, but, you know, two months from now, three months from now, six months from now, you know, a sort of consistent action, right? You started with run walking for 20 minutes. Yeah. Back in January, I couldn't run for 10 minutes at a time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is the, it's like the days go by slowly, but the, the years, years, they go by fast or something. Um, yeah. So I think that's maybe the takeaway from yours. If yeah. we have to pull takeaways from everything in life. I like a good takeaway. I guess. All right. Today's guest, we have Hunter Allen. Hunter Allen. And I was trying to think up like super coach, mega coach, coach I mean, extraordinaire. I don't know if he even needs you to say that, but he's, he's definitely a coach that's been involved in a lot of things, right? The Training Peaks is sort of the online sort of calendar software that a lot of coaches and athletes use. He was very involved in that. He's been involved in, you know, high level road racing as we talk about sort of his upbringing in, in BMX racing and then transitioning into sort of the collegiate road racing scene, which I, I didn't really know his own athletic history. I followed Hunter as a coach for a long time and sort of definitely taking cues from him in my coaching uh, career, if not also my athletic career. Um, I mean, he's been coaching for over 25 years now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was really solid, like power, like he rode on Navigators, which was like a pretty legit sort of, I guess, continental team maybe, but like US-based team. Um, so yeah, so we talk about that. We talk about how power, he got, he brought power sort of the US BMX team for the Olympics, uh, which is pretty cool. And also I didn't sort of know he had any sort of, but again, he sort of started in BMX. So he had sort of that interest and it's really interesting just how he used power for that. Um, but definitely this, this podcast, we get into, you know, sort of the new era of, of power training and, and his latest book that he co-authored with Andy Kogan and McGregor, I believe. Is it McGregor? I apologize, McGregor. Training and Racing with the Power Meter, edition three. Right, yeah. So this book's been out, and it was sort of the, the main book that people uh, ha- get when they're getting a power meter and they want to f- sort of figure out how to train. So there's a lot of actionable information. This it is Stephen McGregor, and I apologize. Dr. Stephen McGregor. And so, yeah, so the book has is, is been around for a while. And so this is a new edition that's added a bunch of new information about power data now that we have more software and more sort of processing power i mean it's probably pretty interesting if you have the first edition to even get this one and just see how what we know about power how it's measured you know what the devices and software are like how that's changed over the years because that's one of the most rapidly developing fields i'd say it isn't and it's especially like i'm not great with numbers i mean i'm pretty good you know but i've been practicing for over 20 years with training right And, and so i find i've read all three editions and this one i've been underlining and highlighting and really taking in the book um and and a lot of the stuff is stuff i've read before and you know i've done all the training peaks certifications and all the different power training things you know i stay on top of this stuff but uh, i really enjoyed this 
episode with Hunter. Um, and I think we did pull out enough sort of actionables if you stick with it and, you know, you can jump through if stuff gets a little too technical. There are some stuff, you know, training for masters and the time crunch, so sort of the, what are the concepts, what are, what is his favorite workout for time crunched folks. Uh, we talk a little bit about pacing and what power can sort of help as far as pacing strategy, uh, which is also covered in the book. Um, yeah, just lots of, lots of good power data so hopefully this is interesting to folks um if you love it or you hate it we'd love to sort of hear and sort of what you like to hear more of but uh yeah i don't i don't want to hear if you hate it that's me well not hate it but you know this was you know a little too nerdy for me and that's that's fine you know i'll, I'll take that on i can be nerdy that's fine all right well enjoy this nerd out with coach hunter allen all right welcome back to the consummate athlete podcast we have hunter allen today and i'm very excited hunter is a coach i've looked up to and tried to read everything he's had and we actually did meet one time at a, a course in ontario with the ontario cycling association i don't know if he remembers but um, i want to welcome hunter to the podcast and uh yeah just really thankful you were able to make some time for us today Oh, thanks, Peter. No, I, I do remember that. Absolutely. It was, uh, it was great. It's always great to uh, do some fun, uh, fun seminars and stuff up north there. So it was great. Yeah, I, can't, I don't recall what the weather was, but hopefully it was a nicer <laughs> weather. But uh, I think we tend to do the indoor stuff in the winter, so I'm sure it was stormy. There you go. Well, you know, snow is still pretty too, as long as you just don't get stuck in it. <laughs> right, right, right. Or, or you're, you're enjoying it with skiing or something, I guess. But there you go. Um, so I always like to just sort of ask what people have been up to, you know, what have, what have you been spending your time on the last week or, or, or so? Yeah, you know, um, I think, uh, well, just, just recently this past week has been, uh, we shot a, a bunch of videos. I've done a bunch of work on, um, the ICG, which stands for in indoor cycling group, uh, indoor bicycle. And, uh, they came to me probably, I guess about four years now and asked me if I would help them develop a indoor bike, uh, spinning bike, similar to, you know, kind of what you see in classrooms, but made for indoors with a really accurate power meter and, uh, and a bike that people who are real cyclists would want to use and put in their house and stuff. So we came out with the IC8 and uh, it's got a really accurate power meter. The thing is amazing down to like, you know, within 10 watts. I mean, it's less than a percent. It's craziness. It's super accurate. Uh, not even it's less than 10 watts, like less than three watts. It's so accurate. Um, and uh, it's got FTP. Put your FTP in the head unit. Gives you your training zones, all this jazz. So they were here last week. We are shooting. We shot like 20 videos, all kind of three-minute YouTube, Facebook-type stuff. So <laughs> it's always fun to do that kind of stuff. Sure, sure. And and do you see that bike being used? Like, who's the user? Like, is it someone who's mostly cycling indoors? Or do you see even people who have outdoor bikes sort of using it to have something that's really precise and sort of set up for indoors? Yeah, I think a little bit of both, you know, I mean, they're putting these in, in gyms and clubs and stuff, but really this IC8 was designed to be, to put in, in somebody's home, uh, and used as a substitute for, um, putting their own bicycle and beating up their own bicycle on an indoor trainer. Um, you know, I think that's, that's really what it was for. It's super adjustable and all that jazz. Uh, it's Ant Plus compatible, so it, 
captures all your data from your Garmin and uh, you pair it to your heart rate monitor and all that jazz and you can ride it on Zwift. Now, um, you have to, you know, main, it doesn't have an erg mode in there. So you have to manually, you know, increase the resistance uh, if, you know, if you're doing a workout or something like that. But, you know, I tell you, um, and I go back and forth all every winter. I always have the struggle with my athletes uh, and and myself personally, where riding indoors, like you ride on the erg mode, and and sometimes it just kills you, you know, with your cadence. Yeah, <laughs> you're just dying at seventy RPM um, all winter long. Versus, well, I'm just going to put it in free ride mode and just change the load myself based on cadence and gearing and and hit the plus and minus button kind of thing right, right. so uh, i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to to just be able to have it in free ride mode so to speak and just you know change the load yourself well i think my clients are probably grimacing hearing you say that because we've had very similar discussions about the the pros and cons of erg mode and not shifting all winter if you intend to go and mountain bike or or, or accelerate at any point in the near future so <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Um, yeah, so the indoor stuff is huge. I don't want to get too far down that, but we'll, we'll we'll maybe come back to that. But I wanted to also ask, I was going through sort of a bunch of bios and stuff and just sort of going through it, and I didn't realize the BMX connection that you were at the Beijing Olympics coaching. Like, how did, how did that connect? I mean, I realize it's cycling and, and all that, but but how did that come down sort of to, or, or, or to come to right. you? Yeah, yeah, you know, well, I raced BMX forever. I started, that's how I got into cycling. Wow. Um, I started BMX when I was 11 and raced all the way until I was 18 and when I went off to uh, university. And, um, you know, so it's it's been, you know, a passion of mine and my first love in cycling forever. So I really enjoyed it. And then uh, I guess it was probably 2000, well, you know, once BMX got included in the Olympics for 2008 Olympics, uh, I came to uh, Steve Johnson, the CEO of USA Cycling then in 2006, end of 2006 or so, and said, hey, you know, I really want to be involved in the BMX uh, team, and I think I can bring a lot to it with just all of our power meter uh, analysis and what can we do and what can we learn and can we change some training, can we help do testing on athletes and, and uh, just you know bring this whole new, not really new at the time, but uh, new to BMX anyway, uh, technology. And uh, he was like, oh, it's a great idea. Um, and so, uh, so that was how it got started. And, and, you know, we put SRMs, SRM custom made, um, BMX power meters for us on, gosh, I can't remember the name of the, the crank that, that, uh, Shimano had a BMX crank that they were able to make, uh, power meters for. Right. And, um, man, we put them on all the BMXers, the hopefuls. I think we had like 12 or 15 SRMs that we had and we, uh, really fortunate uh in in uh, the fact that the guy who built the beijing track um he went over to, to beijing built that track uh and then uh came back to the u.s and then uh the u.s usa cycling hired him to build the exact replica of the oh, track wow. Wow. <laughs> at the olympic training center in chula vista uh, so we were super fortunate. I mean, we, you know, actually had the exact replica down to like the inch, 
uh, of the track in Beijing. And so all of our athletes and, and, and the track actually was open internationally uh, to anybody. I think we had some Canadian BMXers there and all kinds of people, New Zealand's, uh, Australian. I mean, we had Colombians, all kinds of people there practicing on it. Uh, so it wasn't like it was just ours or anything, but, uh, that gave us some incredible insights into the demands of the event, uh, itself from a power meter perspective, because, you know, we never had power meters on BMXers. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and these guys would, I mean, they would put out, I mean, 2,500 Watts off the starting gate. I mean, just insane numbers. Uh, and, uh, they would go around the first turn, they would come out of the first turn, and they would do 180 RPM and do 1,800 watts coming out of the first turn. Yeah. yeah uh, and, and it was just really amazing. So uh, we learned a lot about that, and it was um, it helped us make a, some really good decisions about who were the best riders to be on the team. And then it helped, and it defined a lot of our training protocols that uh, we gave um, the, the riders in order to be ready for that, that track in Beijing. So yeah, it was super fun, super fun. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I had no idea that was sort of your, where you came from. Um, and I, I do want to, I'm going to come back to the BMXF cause I think that might be helpful in our power metrics in a bit, but, uh, you also then raced road for the navigators, which to me is like, that's just like awesome development. Now you're seeing someone who's, you know, been dabbling in different disciplines. So do you want to just, can you speak to just even briefly sort of that progression as a, a younger person racing BMX and then eventually as a, I guess, mature athlete racing on the road? Like how, how did you get from, from point A to point B? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I was, um, at, at university and, uh, just kind of, uh, kicking around my BMX bike. And, uh, one of my good friends was a mountain biker and he's like, Oh my gosh, you got amazing mountain bike or amazing skills, bike handling skills. Why don't you come mountain biking with me? And, uh, I found a used mountain bike to just borrow from another buddy and we went mountain biking and, uh, I was like, wow, this is like BMX through the woods. This is awesome. <laughs> right. And, uh, so uh, then, you know, I, I, would, I was great on all the technical stuff, but I didn't have any cardiovascular system developed at all, of course. So um, it took me a while to get that and raced a bunch of mountain bikes. And then at about the same time, their late 80s, um, you know, collegiate cycling was just starting here in the U.S. And, uh, and so we were like, whoa, we can like race and, and have a college team. So then, uh, we both got road bikes and started racing in the collegiate races, uh, and, and saw, wow, this is really fun. And so then we <laughs> not riding racing mountain bikes anymore. Right. Um, and we started racing on the road all the time. And, uh, that was just a blast. And so that was, you know, and then, and, uh, you know, I just kept getting better and better and better and better. And, uh, I got to be a cat one, uh, my senior year at the university. And, um, then, uh, it was like, okay, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And, uh, I said, well, you know, I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to see if I can become a pro cyclist and, uh, see if I can do something with this. So, uh, raced in California the fall that the rest of that year won three pro one twos while still a cat one and that got me on a team in Spain in '92 and raced on an amateur team in Spain out of uh, San Sebastian uh, and that was super fun and then uh, 
then then came back and got on the navigators team and raced as a pro on the navigators team for a few years so that was that was the journey wow wow it's it sounds like a, a perfect recipe right like you're sort of working on scales and having fun which is that's bmx right and then incorporating sort of that community and and like you say it was sort of just you know obvious you're going to race road in university or in college because it's such a great atmosphere right um, and then yeah. you, ho- you hope that, that, you know, whatever, like the, that enthusiasm sort of just goes off and people will, you know, become pros, elites, whatever, but awesome. It's always cool to sort of connect those, those two dots. Um, so I think next, you know, you, you have this latest edition of your book out, which has been, you know, I think for a lot of people, a handbook, uh, it's titled training and racing with a power meter. Uh, and this is the third edition. So, I mean, you know, it's serious when we're getting into editions of books here. Um, but you know, it, it's really a great book for teaching people right from the get go, right? That you don't have to be, you know, talking about high level stuff or even, even have had a power meter, right? Like, is that the idea right. like, when you, when you're writing this, you're, you're thinking about, it could be a beginner. It could be someone who knows what they're talking about or thinks they know. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it was like, uh, you know, the, the, um, really, really the how to manual. And that was, that's been the intention all along is, is number one, uh, set out kind of the seven principles of power training and say, okay, if you did those, these seven things, you're really training with a power meter. Uh, and, and that was, that was the initial goal is to, to, to give people that just like, how do I do this? What do I do now? I got one of these things. Uh, so, so really that's the, the first four chapters of the book are, are really dedicated to just how do I use this uh, and what do I do? How do I get started? Uh, after that, then it kind of dives deeper into, well, okay, now that I've been training with this thing, what do all these squiggly lines mean? <laughs> you know? Right, right. It's very confusing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and especially for those people who aren't that analytical, uh, you know, and it's kind of, okay, how do we demystify this so that it, it makes sense? Like, oh, this line means this and this line means that. Uh, and so that was, that was really the second half of the book is, is trying to, to explain a bit about what those lines mean and then take it even further and talk about, well, um, what is, you know, what is, how do I develop a training plan? You know, how do I actually use this now as a, in a, as a tool for a training plan to help me peak for, for, uh, an event or just improve my FTP, uh, and, uh, in, in that, in that regard. And then there are all kinds of little, you know, you different case studies we've got in there and examples and stuff of, of what people have done. And, um, so, you know, I, I hope that that's that's been my intention all along is to um, make it so that again, kind of take you through that process. So each chapter builds upon itself and and takes you through. So once you kind of once you're done with it, you're like, okay, wow, um, I I really understand training the power meter now. Yeah, and I think it accomplishes that. And and like anything, I think things evolve too, right? And in the last. I don't know how many years we've been now with like the newer WKO and the newer metrics, I guess, but the, the language of power training and what we're able to do with the big data has sort of evolved. And I, and I guess that's one of the big reasons for this third edition is sort of adapting to these newer metrics and newer data analysis techniques, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's been 10 years. I mean, we, did, we came out of the second edition in 2009, so it's been 10 years since we came out with the third edition. And, and you know, a lot of the reason why we haven't come out with the third edition was because, um, you know, we didn't have an update in software. We didn't have um, some new tools that we really needed to be able to and use some of these more advanced metrics and such. Uh, and so once we got that dialed in with the WKO4 software, then it was like, okay, cool. Now we can actually start looking at this at a more individualized perspective. Um, because we found that, you know, I mean, really early on in training with Power Meter that not everybody fit exactly in the Coggin, you know, levels perfectly, you know, uh, especially those upper ones above FTP. Uh, you know, the if you look at kind of the VO2 max range level five and say, okay, well, that's 106 to 120% of your FTP. And, you know, you should hold that, be able to hold that somewhere between three to eight minutes. Um, so if, you know, for example, right in the middle, about 115% or so, that's about five minutes. Uh, and most people can hold about 115% for five minutes. But we saw pretty early on, like, wow, some people could hold 150% for five minutes, like just right. huge numbers. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, we need to account for that individual nature um, of people's unique physiology. And that's, that was one of the big stepping stones that is made, uh, it was created, you know, in, in this new edition and talking about how we even further individualize that, uh, training for people. Now you were one of the co-founders of training peaks, which a lot of athletes are using sort of to talk to their coach or to follow a training plan online. And, and you mentioned WKO plus, which is sort of a offline, I guess, software, which I found huge. We've had, we had Tim Cusack come up uh, as well, which mm-hmm. was an amazing weekend. And like, for me, it's been huge from a, a coaching perspective. Um, and so what you're alluding to is sort of the zones and what this, when we have all this data from an athlete, all their sort of peak powers, um, all the information from these power meters, now you can put it into the software and, and sort of really customize what those zones are, right? Essentially, that's what you're talking about. Exactly, exactly. So basically, now the, the, the software is able to you know, just take all of your data and give you some, um, based on that data set, give you some pretty unique measures of, of, you know, what kind of one are you, what kind of phenotype are you? And we've always had power profiling, we've had power profiling forever, which helped us to understand our strengths and weaknesses. And this really is the same thing, but just at a deeper level. Uh, and now instead of making you figure out, oh, well, I'm a time trialist or I'm a sprinter or whatever, the software kind of says, oh, you're a time trialist or you're an all-arounder or you're a pursuiter. Um, and then that helps to, to, do, to, uh, to go from that direction. And then at the same time, you know, if you do have, if you are one of these outliers that has some fairly unique individual um, pieces to your physiology, uh, there are individual training levels now. So um, that's been really fun to, to be able to have uh, and look at and say, okay, well, gosh, I should be training from 360 watts to 487 watts if I want to improve my anaerobic ability uh, instead of like, you know, this kind of little bit lower area. Usually that's the case is that, that uh, the Coggins will be lower. Um, so again, making sure that you are hitting the training zones that you want to and addressing the the energy systems you want to because 
that's I think to me that's one of the the magical things about having a power meter and revolutionary things about having a power meter is the fact that you know before we didn't really know are we training the right system even you know or well are we are we going hard enough to train our VO2 max are we going hard enough to improve our FTP um, maybe I'm too tired and I can't actually hit the numbers that I should be hitting you know, with heart rate, we just didn't really know, and certainly speed didn't really help that much. Uh, so with a power meter, all of a sudden, it, it, it's almost like this really kind of guarantee, like, hey, if you're between these watts and these watts, and for this time frame, you're training this zone. You're training this energy system, and it's going to improve. If you do enough work there, it's going to get better. So I think that's a really fun part of training with a power meter. Yeah, yeah. It's been I really liked sort of seeing, I think I've done a lot more 40 second and sort of shorter intervals than I would have done in the past. Um, and I, I tend to be the type of athlete that doesn't do well over FTP. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been interesting how it evolves things. I'm wondering, you know, the, the big question is always around what's your FTP and how do you set your FTP? And, and some of this, you know, when you have the data, it should be fairly evident. Um, but not always. And, and so one of the new metrics is the modeled FTP or MFTP. I'm wondering if you could sort of walk us through that, even just briefly. I know it can get technical, but just a brief yeah. explanation. Sure, sure. So um, the modeled FTP is an FTP that's been modeled based on uh, your data, and it comes from what's called the power duration curve. So many of us, especially those who have read the first and second edition, know and understand what's called our mean maximal power curve. The mean maximal, meaning uh, mean is your average, maximal being your best, so average best power curve. So it's a curve of your data, like at five seconds, what's your best five seconds, what's your best 30 seconds, what's your best minute, what's your best you know, four minutes and 27 seconds, et cetera. So it creates this curve with uh, time being on the x-axis and, and watts on the y-axis. And that's what you actually have done, right? That's what you've done in, in your training, your racing. So the power duration curve is a curve that goes through all of that and is a line of best fit. Uh, and um, sometimes a little high again, sometimes a little low, but it's a line of best fit and looks at the different changes and the rate of change between different time ranges. Uh, and so that helps us to understand um, where there are different essentially breakpoints in your energy systems where like, well, maybe right here, because all of a sudden there's this pretty dramatic drop off in Watts but between, you know, 52 minutes and 58 minutes. This is really what your FTP right, right here is. So it looks at that bend out near an hour in the, in the curve. Uh, and that establishes what your modeled FTP is. Um, so, Again, it's looking around about an hour. Um, not always going to be right an hour, but darn close. Uh, and again, it's a model, right? So I, a lot of people, you know, somebody emailed me the other day. is like, man, I went out and did 292 watts for 60 minutes, and I did 312 watts for, um, you know, 20 minutes, but my model FTP says it's 284. 
Well, you know, so remember it's a model um, and it's also only looking at the last 90 days. So it's kind of got a rolling average of the last 90 days. So just because you did a new 60-minute best doesn't mean that that model is going to update to it right away. Uh, so it's a point of triangulation. I want to. I want to. You know. I want a twenty-minute test. I want a sixty-minute test. I want to look at the model FTP. I want to look at some data from your races and from your training. I'm looking at all those things to determine really what 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 is your FTP. So, uh, but it's a it's a really nice, useful tool. Yeah, and I find a lot of those debates um, are, are like it's really not that big a deal, right? Like ten watts here and there. Like it's all getting divided yeah. by percentages, right? So it's. Right. The the overlap in between ten watts at FTP is very, very small, even for like a really solid FTP, right? So Yeah. Um okay, yeah. so that's model FTP and, and I'll put a couple links just because I know we're talking about graphs and lines and stuff, but hopefully that, that makes sense that you're sort of trying to, you know, profile, you know, this line of your best. Um the other interesting one which maybe might tie into and you can maybe even pick between FRC and, and uh Pmax uh relating to sort of the BMX athlete especially maybe. Um you know, can you explain sort of these newer metrics as well? So we all know FTP or a lot of us do, but the, some of these new ones might be a little foreign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So um like so FRC is what we call so we know FTP, functional threshold power, and that's essentially the the, what we call the power you can maintain in a quasi steady state for, you know, a period of time, generally around an hour before you start fatiguing. Well, what we call FRC is functional reserve capacity. And this is really the amount of work you can do above your FTP. Okay. So, so think of your functional reserve capacity as a somewhat of an umbrella above that, you know, that goes above that, that kind of encompasses your sprint or neuromuscular power or what we call uh, Pmax. I'll talk about that in a second. And then also your anaerobic capacity and your VO2 max. So that really kind of encompasses those three uh, energy systems. And that's and it's a neat it's a neat way to to think of it because um, we we have these different separate energy systems and and I would claim that they're you know very valid reasons for training those three but at the same time there's also really good reasons to combine them into one um, number one is because uh, it helps us to understand a little bit about um, you know what area should we be stronger in and how can we improve it? So if you think of uh, another little simple analogy might be to think of your FRC is that um, you had a button on your your handlebars and basically uh, you could push that button down and you could hold it all the way down for 10 seconds and you would get this massive power boost for 10 seconds but you would completely decharge de- de- that battery, right? If you had like a little electric motor in your bike, right? And you could just push it down for 10 seconds. I'm um, thinking like Fast and the Furious NOS buttons here. Like right, exactly. Hit it with the NOS, yeah. Right, right, right. If you hold it down too long, you're going to blow it up. <laughs> right, right. Right? I mean, exactly kind of the same thing, right? Because that's what happens, right? I mean, that's your, your functional reserve capacity. So if you want to charge up a hill... And you want to go up this hill and, uh, you know, you've got, let's say, 
um, you know, 14 kilojoules of, of uh, work that has available for you to do. Well, what, is, what does that mean? I mean, 14 kilojoules, that's, uh, that's hard to translate in wattage. Well, if you, if you think about it and say, okay, well, that would, if you, you move the decimal place over two, so we say 14, so four, uh, 1,400, so it would be 1,400 watts that you had available to do work with for 10 seconds. So if you could actually hold 1,400 watts for 10 seconds, you would exhaust that battery completely. Now, most of us can't hold 1,400 watts for 10 seconds, so we could divide it you know, by two and double the time. So, well, 20 seconds, can you hold 700 watts for 20 seconds? And a lot of us could do that, and that would be the same thing. You would, you would exhaust that system or those those con, you know combinations of systems that functional reserve capacity in 20 seconds now in order to recharge that battery you've got to go back underneath your ftp so you've got to recharge it to say okay i'm gonna get ready for the next attack kind of thing uh, and so it's it's a really interesting way to look at it because it helps us to understand um one you know, again, further depth into your strengths and weaknesses and what you might use for um, an upcoming event and how you might use it to to uh, to your advantage. And then two, you might be able to use it so that uh, you can say, well, you know, how much freshness do I have and how much um, fatigue do I have and how is that really related um, to these to your functional reserve capacity so that you ensure that you come to the event with if you need a lot of it, you ensure you come to the event with the right amount. I see. So you're suggesting then that if someone were like really pushing the volume, then that their FRC would be lower. Is that, am I interpreting that? Yeah, for sure. So, um, as you get more and more fatigued, that's gonna, that's definitely going to go down. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And, and it's going to be, you know, wow, I need to be, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to get more and more fatigued because, Fatigue, uh, the number one thing that is, uh, well, let's say, let's back up a little bit. So your anaerobic capacity, which is a large component of your functional reserve capacity, your anaerobic capacity when you're purely anaerobic, is its greatest when you're fresh. So when you've been sitting on the couch for two months and not riding your bike, you've got massive amount of anaerobic capacity. Right, right. <laughs> you want to at your best one minute, just go sit on the couch for a month and then go up a hill for one minute as hard as you can. You'll probably crack your best one minute out. All right. 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 Or like if you now, go to, I've seen uh, like shop mechanics who like haven't been riding. They're just working in a shop and the, you'll get them on like a trainer or something and they'll do like a 10 second sprint or a 15 second sprint and it'll be like, you know, 1500 watts or something, something more than like most cyclists would ever do. Right. And it's just exactly that. Like they're fueled by donuts and well rested. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yeah, no, that's exactly it. And, and um, you never know. I mean, I think that's one of those things that, uh, you know, it is a key part of it. So um, now um, if uh, if you're highly fatigued, meaning you've been training for many, many, many days, that 
anaerobic ability, that functional reserve capacity is going to be much lower. Um, you just don't have the ability to dig into that, right? Your battery's decharged and you haven't really given it a chance to recharge because it does get, you know, it goes lower and lower and lower and lower and lower as you get more and more fatigue throughout the, uh, throughout the day or throughout the train, you know, week, right, week after right. week after. Yeah, and that's it's interesting, right? Because that's often a, a a common request. I'm sure you get it. You know, the climbing feels slow, or my sprinting, I can't recover to like make the attacks or whatever. Um, and then it sometimes doesn't get sort of correlated to like, well, you're also just riding, you know, hard endurance or whatever, like all the time. You're never recovering, right, or ever working on that top end. Yep, exactly, exactly. Awesome. Um. I wonder, I mean, Pmax, do you want to just touch on it briefly? Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Sorry. Yeah, no, I got, no problem. That I was good. I, I love the FRC stuff. That's great. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just talk about this stuff all day, as you know. Um, the, uh, so so for, for a really long time, we've, we've done a, uh, you know, we've used your best five seconds as the is the best measurement of neuromuscular power. Uh, the ability, neuromuscular power is the ability to contract and relax your muscles as quickly as you can and with the most force that you can. So we want to know, well, okay, how, what's your maximum wattage? And like I said earlier, you know, those BMXers, I mean, they could do 2,500 watts for a second right off of the starting gate. Um, but, you know, that, that's just a single sample. Uh, and a lot of these power meters, they're, you know, I don't really believe any single sample because the way that they measure is they measure in time and you don't know where the starting time is and where your crank arm is in, uh, in what phase of the pedal stroke it is and that time. Uh, and so, you know, you might crack out something really big one day, 1400 watts, and you never ever do it again because of just this, you know, the time and space and the moon and everything else aligned type of thing. Right. Uh, so we always looked at our best five seconds, and it's still a very good measurement of neuromuscular power. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but Pmax allows us to look at um, again with a little bit better uh, granularity and some of the software that we're using now, and and some of the power meters themselves. Uh, we can see the best power for one complete pedal stroke, left and right leg, right? Because you want to see both sides. You want to see, well, what can my left leg do and my right leg at its maximum? And that's really what we call your Pmax. Uh, and so that really sets that, that upper um, limit of, of what your neuromuscular power is. So that's a nice measurement. I've, I've been very pleased with that. And, um, you know, it still doesn't, you know, account for, you know, bad power meter data. I mean, you've got to clean up your data and stuff. Sometimes you're going to be, you know, you're going to have bad data there. But um, other times it's, uh, it's still pretty good. Do you have a preferred way to test that other than just like going out and sprinting? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, the best way to test your, 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 uh, sprint is go out and just do a bunch of sprints. I really like to test both small ring sprints and big ring sprints. Some of us are going to have our best, uh, P max and P max or, and five seconds, sorry, P max and, and five seconds in a small ring sprint. Uh, if you find a, a slightly uphill, you don't want to think anything 
craziness, uh, but you know, four or five percent or something like that, uh, and do a small ring sprint up it. Do three or four because you might not knock it out the first time, uh, you know, and, and shift gears and stuff. That you know, if you have more explosive power, you're going to probably do it in that small ring sprint. Uh, then if you're, you know, well, gosh, if you can do it in a big ring sprint, you might want to do that on a flatter road and, uh, start at 18 or 20 miles an hour or somewhere around, uh, you know, 35 to 40 kilometers an hour or something like that. Uh, then, uh, you sprint from that big chain ring and you might actually get a better one that way. So I think you've got to always do it both ways. And I want to do three sprints, three small rings, three big rings, just because again, the first or second one may not be the perfect one. I see a lot of times kind of get better as, uh, you do a few of those things. Right. Right. That makes sense. Um, and then maybe last of the, the metrics here, and then we'll go on to some more juicy sort of FTP boosting secrets and, and more headline right. friend, friendly stuff. But uh, time to exhaustion, I think, is, is another one that people might find interesting. So do you want to just take us through TTE? Yeah, absolutely. Time to exhaustion. Time to exhaustion is, a, is an interesting concept, too, because it also looks at the, uh, the curve, the power duration curve um, overlaying on top of your mean maximal power. And the best way to, do, to really understand time to exhaustion is, uh, let's say, for example, um, you go and do a one-hour FTP test. All right, I'm going to go and I'm going to crack out this one hour and I'm going to make it happen. Um, in that hour, at the end of the hour, you end up averaging 250 watts. All right, so that's your FTP. All right, you did your very best. You got 250 watt average. Bang, you nailed it. That's 250 watts. Now, if you go back and you look at the power file, you'll notice that for the first 38 minutes of that, you held 270 watts, and then you kind of fell apart after 38 minutes, struggled home at 240-something watts, and ended up averaging you know, 250 watts total. So that would be, again, your FTP is still 250. So your time to exhaustion would be 38 minutes. And so that's really when that you see that big drop off and holding a high rate of power close to your FTP, all right? It's not your FTP necessarily. Um, might be, but most of the times it isn't. And it's really that time just right before you, you fall off. So um, it, it's, a, it's an interesting concept because what happens is we find that uh, – you know, we can average a higher number of watts for a little bit longer, and then as our, we become fatigued, then our power drops off. Uh, we still base our training zones around the one hour, uh, but the t time to exhaustion helps us to understand, okay, well, what what is, you know, what another, what, what am I trying to train here? If I make it 24 minutes, then, well, gosh, you know, you, you really need to increase your muscular resistance um, and your, your cardiovascular, um, uh, system as well. You make it out to 45 minutes, then, well, your muscular fatigue is resistance is much higher. Uh, and then as you get closer and closer to an hour and even exceed an hour, then I use time to exhaustion as a leading indicator that your FTP is about to go up. So um, it's a great metric for that is like, oh, wow, look, this athlete's all this 
sudden, he's now got his TTE out to 58 minutes. He's probably on the cusp of, a, of an FTP improvement. So um, I like to use it that way, too. Hmm. And is there a point though where you'd be aiming to get it lower for someone who's you know more on the the BMX side of things or even like a, a cyclocross type thing versus the the hour or are you still seeing that sort of the in the way you describe sort of higher is better and then you see it go up or longer is better and then you see it go up. Right. Well, I think if um, for cyclocross, um, you know, cyclocross is 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 a little bit different because it's. Um, got a tremendous number of um, these super high intensity bursts of anaerobic and neuromuscular power and VO2 max. Uh, so maybe a, you don't need to have quite such a high TTE for that one. Even if your race is an hour long, um, you know you, you can get away with certainly probably something in the 30 minute or you know 40 minute range. That would be fine. Uh, so I wouldn't worry too much about it right then. Um, but at the same time, as you get fitter and fitter, that number is just going to naturally go up because you're going to be able to hold it longer. Um, the, the BMX stuff, you know, it just doesn't really apply because it, that's just so sp- sprint oriented. Sure. It's over in 45 seconds maximum. So it really doesn't doesn't don't we don't really look at it that way from that that perspective. Um, there is you know I mean you can look at all kinds of different um, times to exhaustion, uh, and so you could do a sprint time to exhaustion, uh, which is um, you know the uh, oh my gosh the Wingate test essentially uh, how many watts and how long can you go kind of on the Wingate test, which is totally painful <laughs> don't, i don't recommend that one but no if you're a sprinter you gotta have to do it um that uh but yeah no it's uh that's that's part of it awesome yeah um so those are lots of metrics and now i'm wondering you know there's some plans there's some case studies in there um and a lot of it is focused around that raising of ftp or improving of ftp getting getting fitter I'm wondering if you can tease some of the newer sort of even just one workout or, or one of the techniques that you've you've sort of come across for this new updated edition. Yeah, sure. No, we've got um, I've got a, a new training plan in there for triathletes, which is uh, I'm I'm really excited about because uh, you know triathletes have constantly been been sending me emails for um, for ten years now saying. We want a training plan. Uh, so we've got swim and run in there as well. Uh, so that's great because there's some really fun things that now are happening on the power meter side for running. And um, even the swimming devices now are pretty exciting too. So those things are uh, are pretty neat. Uh, and, and then two, uh, master's athletes. I've got a great training plan in there on master's athletes because I think that's the – a large majority of us, I'm certainly in that category now, you know, where, uh, and have been for a while, um, of, of like, okay, well, how do I train differently now that I'm not 20 years old anymore? Um, and what do I need to train and what's the best bang for my buck? And, uh, and then we've got a couple of the plans we had from the second edition, which are just tried and true. I mean, we've got a great threshold improvement plan and a great plan that's basically had a peak um, in eight weeks. So those are great plans. But, um, you know, I think that I, I really like the um, – the I like all the plans. All of them are really good. But you know, it's been really fun writing the masters one because again, it's something that I've tweaked over and over um, 
the years and, and kind of made it better and better and better. And, uh, one of those things that, that I think that makes a difference, uh, for those of us who are very time constrained and, and, uh, we don't recover quite as fast as we used to. Uh, so it helps to, uh, get, get the timing of the training a little bit more aligned. Uh, and you know, one of my favorite workouts that is in here and, um, probably no surprise to anybody who knows me, uh, is, is the sweet spot with, um, doing bursts. So, I mean, I just, I, this is my kind of staple come back to all the time. I mean, uh, cause you know, the, the, the number one determinant of, of performance is FTP, right? So if, if your FTP is 250 and you raise it to 275, you're going to go faster. Um, he, if your FTP is 275 and you raise it 300, you're going to go faster. Um, you're going to have more opportunities for success the higher that FTP is. So that's um, we always come back to how can we improve our FTP first um, for, for most of us. And so riding just below your FTP, what we call sweet spot, around 88 to 93% or 95% of your FTP, just underneath it, is a great place to ride. Um, one, because you can spend a lot of time there. Uh, you, you know, it's doable. It's like, man, I'm not suffering on the edge. I'm not dying right here. Um, but I can, I can, it takes, you know, mental effort, but I can do it. And, uh, and, and then you still get a tremendous amount of benefit riding there. It still really increases your FTP. So doing those and then every two minutes doing a burst for 30 seconds at about 120% um, is a great way to start to um, increase your essentially your ability to, to, uh, to maintain a higher FTP, to increase your uh, fatigue resistance, uh, to improve your lactate tolerance. Uh, it's, it's a great place to be. And so I kind of, I kind of liken it to imagine if you have a bathtub, right. And in that bathtub, um, you know, you've got a drain, you've got the faucet pouring water in the bathtub and, uh, the, the drain is not draining as quickly as the water's coming in. So the bathtub is filling up, even though the drain is fully open. And then uh, the bathtub gets to about three quarters full of water. And uh, then what happens is then you take a fire hose and you fire hose it for about 30 seconds. The water comes all the way up to the top and almost goes into the floor of your bathroom. And then you turn the fire hose off and you turn all the water off and you let it drain out um, to about three quarters full again. So that's, that's, you know, it's, you're still letting that drain go out and then you go and you fire hose it again. So you're riding at sweet spot for two minutes, you fire hose it for 30 seconds or 20 seconds, and then you ride at sweet spot for two minutes, you fire hose it again. Uh, and it, and it, what it does is it tells the body, it's like, Hey everybody, we need a bigger drain. We need to drain more water. We don't necessarily need taller walls. The height of the walls is your FTP drain itself is your efficiency so truly like more capillaries in the muscles more stroke volume in the heart we need more mitochondrial enzymes 
all those things. We need true efficiency internally in our body, and doing that kind of work is is really effective. And that would be sort of like a classic two by twenty, or what format would you put those sort of two minutes plus thirty seconds? Uh, burst? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think two by twenties are great. Um, you know, I think that's probably a good place to do them because uh, you can do two by fifteens. Uh, two by tens are a little short with bursts, uh, but you can certainly do them even two by tens, but definitely nothing shorter than that. Um, so, um, yeah, no, I think those will be great. I, I'm, I'm definitely a, a kind of more of a two by 20 guy, um, at, in doing those bursts. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, they're great. They're great intervals. You mentioned triathlon plans and some pacing stuff is, is really big, sort of, in, especially in the long course, but I think all triathlon. Is there anything you can sort of tease people as far as, you know, how they can use their power meters for pacing, whether that's in training or on race day? Yeah, you know, um, I think in terms of, of pacing from uh, a triathlon perspective, I mean, the, the number one goal uh, when you have to, to think about it and break it down and say, okay, well, what's the number one goal of, of the bike leg of triathlon? One, you want to go as fast as you possibly can and still run as fast as you possibly can afterwards. <laughs> right? So yeah. if you go too fast on the bike, Right, if you go too fast on the bike, then you're not going to be able to run, or maybe you can only run half of it and then you walk the rest of it. Right, so that's a bummer. Um, and and I would say fail, try again next time. Um, but you know the 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 goal is to make sure that you pace yourself so that you can run at the end and and run strong all the way to the finish line. So, um, you know, looking at pacing, there's a, a little table in, uh, in the book that talks about pacing guideline, what percentage of FTP you should maintain if you are um, doing an Ironman, if you are doing a half Ironman, if you're doing Olympic distance, uh, and, then, and, and then also, you know, kind of what, what athlete, what level of athlete are you, you know, you know, a pro triathlete is going to do, you know, 75 or 78% of their FTP for the entire 112 miles. Um, don't recommend that for your typical age group athlete. Um, that's probably going to be more around 68% or 70% for the typical age group athlete. And they'll still have enough for the run they've done their training um so you don't want to overdo it um one of the biggest things too that i see in triathlon is just um pedaling too slow i mean most triathletes just drone along at 80 rpm and it's just you know and and they're using more force to do that with they're they're pushing a bigger gear they're using more force and using more force with the muscles that takes more energy, and so that's taking muscle glycogen away from those muscles that you need on the run. So ride with a little faster cadence. Learn to ride at 90 RPM so that you shift the stress, the strain rather, onto the cardiovascular system, and then that way you save the muscle glycogen in the legs for the run. Uh, so there's a whole section on quadrant analysis and, um, you know, what is it, what is a, uh, a good, um, 
Iron Man look like, a good half Iron Man look like versus a bad half Iron or Iron Man look like. So that way you can understand how cadence and force plays a role in that. Right. Yeah, that's a really good thought too and, and again sort of we're talking about power and power meters but you know one of this maybe maybe that gets overlooked sometimes now that everyone's onto ftp and power is that we can also often at least most most devices will also give you a cadence right and sometimes that gets lost and all we care about is ftp but you know in the case of a, a performance like the triathlon or even just in your actual ftp or you talked about your sprints as well with the the different cadences right and how that can greatly affect performances absolutely 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 so we've covered a lot of the questions and we're getting close here i don't want it to keep you too long uh the last question that we got from a listener i'm just trying to so it's it's around tss or training stress score Mm -hmm. Uh, um, and, and his question was sort of if you don't have a power meter um on all your bikes or maybe you just have it indoors um, or, or I think this would even apply if you had different power meters, I guess, potentially, but he's, he's asking sort of, how do you, how do you consolidate sort of the HR, uh, heart rate TSS and, and then also sort of TSS or just differing TSS outputs, uh, between those to sort of have that picture of fitness, uh, that is sort of the PMC right. and TSS. Right. Well, that's a challenge if you don't have a power meter, um, to, to quantify your training stress, uh, so if you have a heart rate monitor and you download your data into training peaks, it will give you a heart rate TSS. So that's better than nothing. Uh, you know, that, that way at least you, you get some training stress score for that. Um, the, uh, the, the goal of having training stress score, a score for every ride is that you can, uh, again, quant- figure out what's my optimal training load. Uh, how much how much can I handle? Can I do a thousand TSS in a week every week, week in and week out? Um, that's a really good thing to be able to do. Um, but if you can't, um, then you will figure out, well, I can only do 800. That's going to be my number one that I can do. So I think that that's probably the, the biggest goal here. Um, and it's difficult to do it without some way to, to really quantify that. Now, from running, if you have a running device, let's say if you're a, uh, a runner, um, there's a, you know, using your Garmin watch or 910 or 920 or, or whatever it is, da- downloading that data can give you a running TSS, R TSS score. And running TSS is really based on 45 minutes. So we got an hour for cycling. Well, about 45 minutes for running is most likely the the, you know, a little more equivalent since you've got a lot of skeletal stress that happens as well in running. Um, so that's really what that looks like. Um, you know, and, and I think that's, 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 that's a little bit of it. Um, you know, and I, I tell you the, the other thing that I think is, is pretty interesting. I don't know if, uh, you've ever used it yet or heard about it, but, um, the, there's a new, uh, device out that you wear on your wrist called whoop W H O O P. Yeah, and uh, Whoop is pretty daggone good, man. I'm very impressed with it. I'm very impressed with it. Um, they, for a really low cost, um, they've done a really good job. And uh, in general, when when my athletes are red on Whoop, 
they are red and they are tired and they need to rest. Uh, I just had a client this past weekend. He, um, he, uh, he messaged me, uh, you know, Sunday morning and was like, man, I'm red today. I just got up. I'm red. I'm like 18%. I'm really red. I'm tired and crushed, you know, from yesterday's ride and this week's training. I'm just going to take the day off. And is that okay? I was like, yeah, absolutely. Take the day off. You know, you're, you're tired, you're fatigued, you're 18%. That's pretty low. Um, and then today he went out and he cracked out his best five minutes of the year. You know, you know, it was just like, all he needed was one day of rest. Uh, and I wonder Hunter too, like that's an awesome, I think you've gone exactly where I was hoping you would, but it's sort of getting at the point that like TSS is just one thing. Right. And and you, you want to sort of like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what is your FTP doing? You know, when you are, when you do have power or, you know, how are you feeling on the bike or, you know, this HRV stuff, which I, I also use, um, but you know, that internal load, you know, what is mm-hmm. that, um, you know, versus I think sometimes the TSS is just like, we're chasing higher TSS or some magical TSS number that we read about. Um, right. but it's, it's missing the point of the bike riding, right. In the, the day to day. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, and I mean that's that's been the that's been the missing metric, Peter. I mean we've never we've never really had a way to measure life stress. You know how how well are you sleeping at night? You know, and and what what impact does alcohol have on that? Um, gosh, you know, I mean I'm looking at my HRV, my heart rate variability, and you know my heart rate variability be 70s, 80s, 90s, or whatever. And then I'll have a single glass of wine and it crushes it by like 40 points. Um, I mean, I mean, I, I'm probably hypersensitive to it or whatever, but I mean, it's just not, it's not like a bottle of wine. It's like a glass of wine. Um, and so, I mean, that really impacts my, uh, heart rate variability clearly messes with my sleep. Um, and, uh, I just take, takes longer for me to recover from it. So, you know, I mean, uh, you know, that, that's you know, <laughs> besides like, Oh crap, I can't drink wine anymore. <laughs> um, right. Uh, you know, it, it's um, it, it takes into account like you know how well are you sleeping and what's going on in the rest of your life and, and 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 stuff. So that's been fun. It's really been interesting to start playing with Whoop and 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 again, like you said, you know, it's another it's another point. It's another another tool that uh, can really make a difference in making decisions. Should I train today? Should I not train today? Should, you know, and it says, okay, yeah, you should train today. Okay, well then now use your power meter. How many intervals should I do today? Okay, well go to the, you know, section in Hunter's book that says, you know, optimal intervals guideline. Okay, well I'm gonna do intervals until, you know, I see a 10% drop in my repeats, then I'm gonna stop. Now you're training optimally. Um, So, you know, we're using these different tools tools to help us yeah i like that the multiple factors right and and i think to that the tss idea like you would see you know maybe with that hrv or how you're feeling on the bike you'd maybe start seeing even with the heart rate tss are a bit mixed relative to yourself i would expect you'd see trends you know if Mm -hmm. you were sort of doing the same mix of rides you know indoors one day a week or whatever mountain bike one day a week whatever your thing is uh, you'd, you'd probably see that, you know, fluctuation and what you're sort of expecting mm-hmm. uh, from the TSS. But I think that's spot on, you know, your example of your client with the HRV 
being really low, you know, he, he maybe lets you know that he also was out drinking all night or something or right. didn't sleep. And then you might also see in the TSS, you know, oh, TSB is really low, right? So they're, they're quite deep in fatigue. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's, it's pretty interesting. So, I mean, I think that's where um, always strive for the best data, right? A power meter is the best data because that is that is recording every second of the work that you can do. Uh, and then, you know, if that's if that's um, not available, then then get the next best thing. Uh, certainly, a good heart monitor is, is the next best thing. And and if you can go with something that helps you learn recovery, then uh, the Whoop really makes it a difference as well. Awesome. And I don't want to belabor this, but would you ever, if someone just had like periodically, they had like one power meter, like an indoor one, I guess would be an obvious one, but say they don't use it. They use it only two or three days during the winter and then they don't have it for eight months of the year. Would you, in that case, be better to only use heart rate TSS and just ignore the power data for the sake of that TSS pool? Would that make sense and be a possible workaround? Well, I tell you, I'd still use the power meter data, and but then I would become highly calibrated to looking at what those numbers are, right? Because that's what I teach my athletes. I want them to know, okay, that was a 120 TSS ride. Okay, that was a 250 TSS ride. Oh, that was a 200 TSS ride. Mm-hmm. I want them to come back on their rides, and this is one of the first things that I do with my athletes is – that I make sure that I say, okay, well, you're going to go out and you're going to do these workouts. And before you look at your Garmin and says TSS for that ride, I want you to guess, well, what did you get? You know, well, you know, a hundred points is an hour at FTP as hard as you can go. All right. So everything bases around that was that, you know, what was that like? And so then really quickly within a, you know, two or three weeks of playing the guess my TSS game, um, they really start to get calibrated on, well, gosh, you know, that was a solid 120 points or, you know, that was 85 points or whatever. And then they're also looking and in, in looking at their heart rate averages. They're looking at their power averages, looking at their intervals they're doing. And so then when they go outside and they don't have a power meter outside, they're going to be fairly calibrated. They're going to be able to come back and say, Okay, well, my I uploaded my data to Training Peaks and gave me 120 HRTSS, but you know that's really low. That was a much harder workout than that. That was 190, you know, or 200. And then they can override that value in Training Peaks and just say that's a 200 point ride. Um, right. So as long as you're honest with yourself, I think that's a that's a great way to go. Okay, awesome. Hunter, thank you so much for your time. I'm wondering if you can just leave folks with sort of how they can follow you online, your preferred social medias or uh, any sort of things, you know, courses or whatever you're sort of offering or where they can find more about you and, and Peaks Coaching. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, you can certainly go to our website, peakscoachinggroup.com. Uh, that's a great place. And and I still have a few um, copies autographed by all three authors if you haven't got a copy of our third edition so uh we we got a um a good amount of those signed by all three so i've still got a few left so if you you uh go on there you can get a uh, a copy autographed by all three of us uh and then uh i've got uh we've got a tremendous social media presence as well where we will work out of the day on peaks coaching group on facebook and put tips and fun things on there as well. Uh, you can follow uh, me on Instagram. I'm Hunter Peaks 
on Instagram and also Twitter, Hunter Peaks. So uh, check those out. And uh, yeah, absolutely. We'd, we'd love to uh, have you come to a camp or coaching or buy a training plan or, or just buy a copy of the book. Awesome. Well, I've been very appreciative, learned a bunch, took a ton of notes here. Um, and, and I hope listeners will also uh, enjoy the podcast and then also reach out and use one of your services or also get the book because it is a great handbook to have. So thank you again, Hunter. Awesome. Hey, thank you. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Uh, you can check out my stuff over at theoutdooredit.com or by following me on Instagram and Twitter at Molly J. Herford. And you can check out Peter's coaching, training plans, blogs, all that fun stuff over at smartathlete.ca or by following him on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Glassford. And if you want to support this show and other awesome podcasts, please check out wideanglepodium.com for show info, other podcasts, bonus content, and to become a donating member so you can get all of that rad behind-the-scenes content and help keep shows like this on the air. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast and all the information that we're bringing to you every single week, uh, do us a solid and pop into iTunes to leave us a rating and review. It takes you about two seconds. You can do it on your computer. You can do it on your phone. And it really helps us out. Thanks so much, and we will see you next week.